Deuteronomy chapter 30 is where we're going to be today. Deuteronomy 30, okay? And before we get there, I just want you to imagine somebody that was important to you that said some last words to you. It doesn't have to be before death. It could just be maybe it was a teacher or a coach before our last game. It could be I remember my dad saying some last words to me before I got married. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. I remember graduations. Um, last words matter. People think about them. Last year, my grandpa passed away, and I got to talk to him one last time on the phone. And I will hold his words dear to my heart. His words of, I have no regrets. Make sure you don't take life for granted, Matt. Keep living it to the fullest. And then him just simply saying, I love you. I love you. Simple. Nothing profound. Just beautifully simple. Last words. In the book of Deuteronomy, that's what we have. We've got the guy who supposedly most people agree, he wrote the book of Genesis. He compiled Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these five books. And these, we have, thousands of years later, his last words. And we get to just soak in those this morning. And so before we do, we're going to watch a cartoon and... <laughs> hopefully get a better picture of what the whole book of Deuteronomy is about. So go ahead and watch this. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible and the final book of the Torah. After the exodus from Egypt, Israel was at Mount Sinai for one year entering into a covenant with their God. And then they had the disastrous road trip through the wilderness and the exodus generation disqualified themselves from entering into the land promised to Abraham. And so Deuteronomy begins with Moses standing in front of this new generation explaining the Torah. And it's from here that the design and purpose of the book unfolds. Deuteronomy is a series of speeches from Moses where he's calling the next generation of Israel to be faithful to the covenant with their God. At the center of the book is a collection of laws, which are the terms of the covenant between God and Israel. Some of the laws are new, but many are repeated from the laws given earlier at Mount Sinai. And that's actually where this book gets its name, from a Greek word, deuteronomion, which means a second law. Now, surrounding these laws are two outer sections of Moses' speech. Each of these are broken up into two parts themselves. Let's just dive in. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. If you can picture this, Gina said it earlier, this is a 120-year-old man. And the end of Deuteronomy says something along the lines of, he's got some pep in his step still at 120 and he is passionately speaking to what I assume are not just the Israelites, but his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids. There's an, there's an emboldened passion that I hear behind every single one of these words. So just 10 little verses here, Deuteronomy 30, 11 to the end. Moses is saying, this command I'm giving you today, it's not difficult for you. It is not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven 
and bring it down so that we can hear it and obey it. It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross this great sea and bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey? No, this message is very close at hand. It's on your lips, it's in your heart, so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster, for I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commands, his decrees, his regulations, by walking in his ways. And if you do this, you will live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long good life in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings, and now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me pray, and then we're just going to jump right in. God, it seems so simple in this text to choose life, not death, prosperity, not disaster. And yet we know from the story of Israel and from our own stories that it's not that easy. We often choose the thing we know will hurt us. We often do things that afterwards we say, why did I do that? So help us in this time to hear your call for whatever the next step might be of faith. Not just personally, but communally. God, would you teach us this morning through your word If there's anything that I'm saying that's just for me, not from you, may that just fall to the ground, help people to forget that. But if it's from you, may you speak to our hearts. Would you transform us from the inside out by your living and active word in Jesus' name, amen. I have said this so many times to my kids, these words, not in this exact way, but I have said things like, this is not hard. This is not too difficult. I told you this morning, I told my son Ace to go tell my son Owen to turn on a show for him so that I could get ready. Five minutes later, Ace comes back crying. Owen won't turn on a show. He won't do it. And I wish I could say I took a deep breath and I prayed and I centered myself and I approached my son with grace. I said, you go tell him that dad said it's from dad. Okay, go tell him that he's supposed to do this. And he comes back, and again, he says, he won't do it, Dad, he won't do it. You can, if you know my son, you can just see his big little eyes. You know, he's tearing up. He won't help. And so I go downstairs, and I tell Owen, when he says to do something from me, you do it. And he says, okay, Dad, all right. <laughs> and so he went and did it. It's not hard. This is not too difficult, Right? But when I read the book of like Leviticus, which has, we talked about 613 laws, right? 
It seems, some of it seems kind of hard. I mean, I have a hard time memorizing little things and keeping that in my heart, let alone 613 things. So it's a little astounding to me that Moses is saying, this is not too difficult for you. You don't have to go beyond the sea. You don't have to reach up to heaven. No, these are accessible things that God is asking you to do. And it reminded me when I was studying this week of our like, core verse with Rhythm Community Church, which is Matthew 11. There's a phrase in there that says, come learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Come learn that. Each, word, each one of those words is important. Unforced rhythms. God is never going to force you. He wants your freedom. He's, he's not the kind of manipulating robotic God that just wants to press enter in your heart and you do the thing that he wants you to do. He created free men and women in his image. So let me remind you of this passage because it's brilliant. Matthew 11, verse 25. I'm going to read it through the end. It says, Abruptly, Jesus broke into this prayer. He said, Father, thank you, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but you've spelled them clearly out to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Can we just all take a deep breath and say that you don't need to go to Bible college to understand what God is trying to say to you? As a matter of fact, I know a lot of religious people who have not only bachelor degrees, but master's degrees and doctorates in Scripture, and they're often the ones that jack it up the most and miss the easiest little things of this is not too difficult. Just do the next right thing. Just keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus resumed talking to the people now, but tenderly. I'll try to match his tone. He's not yelling like I'm yelling. He says, the Father has given me all these things to do and to say. Do you see the father-son relationship there? That's mind-boggling, isn't it? That Jesus, fully God, fully man, is saying, no, I'm watching what the Father wants me to do, and I'm just, I'm doing what he's saying to do. He says, this is a unique father-son operation. It comes out of the father and son, intimacies and knowledge. Nobody knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But he says, I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. How great of a line is that? If you want to know how to follow Jesus, he will explain it to you. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. How many misconceptions do we have about God that he lays things on us that are ill-fitting? He does not do that. Jesus says, just keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I don't think that verse will ever get old to me. The invitation to freedom, to lightness. And it ties into later in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, you want to know what the core of these unforced rhythms of grace is all about? Somebody asked him, what's the, what's the most important thing though, Jesus? What's the most important thing you want me to be faithful to? What's the command that is the most accessible, that's the most central to living with you, following you? And he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor 
as yourself. They go together, the vertical and the horizontal go together. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Jesus quotes Deuteronomy almost more than any other book in the New Testament, besides the Psalms. He quotes the Psalms a lot. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, can I read this? Because this is the great commandment. When Jesus says, you want to know the most important commandment? Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. So instead of just thinking about it this morning, February 5th, 2023, what would it actually look like for you and for me to wholeheartedly commit ourselves to the Lord? What does it mean to actually commit ourselves to the way of Jesus? If, if it's not that hard, what is the first step? And I would, I would argue that the first step is also a step that you and I have to take every single day of our lives. And it's one word in the New Testament, and the word is repent. It literally means to turn yourself back towards God. And I know that you're like, well, where is he, right? Like, how do I turn myself towards him? But it's more of like an inward posture. It's an inward surrender of saying, okay, God, again, today, February 5th, I don't want to do this on my own. I don't want to do my job on my own. I don't want to do my marriage on my own. I don't want to raise my kids on my own. I don't want to handle this conflict on my own. I don't want to go through this grief that I'm experiencing on my own. I don't want to go through this frustration on my own. It really is as simple as an inward turning over and over to him because what we behold, we become. And if we keep beholding ourselves, looking internally, just internally, to figure it out, or if we keep looking around us to the people around us and the culture around us, we will become like that. The way to discover and live into our authentic selves is to repent and believe that no, Jesus can transform us from the inside out to actually want to do the things that he is doing. And it's not, hear me on this, it's not a one-time thing. This is a journey. You're lifelong. And maybe you start following Jesus and you pass away the next day, but it was a 24-hour journey. Or maybe you start following him and 10 years later you pass away. It was a 10-year journey. He doesn't say just pray this prayer and then go do whatever you want. He says, no, start to follow me. Organize your life. Orchestrate your whole life around wholehearted commitment to me. And over the last five weeks, we've been talking about as God puts that new, new spirit within us. Do you remember the parts that he's inviting us to on this transformational journey? As we experience his new spirit that's put within us, his spirit, we are transformed as we soak in a new story. The biblical story becomes our story, a true story. In that new story, we find a new community, that we're a part of this new community of faith, that we cannot do this alone. In that new community, there's certain practices. There are new practices for us to do. There's old things to forget and stop doing, and there's new things to commit to. And then last but not least, if we do that over a long period of time, we will experience the new life in Christ that he died and resurrected for. Let me go back to Deuteronomy for a minute, because there's this piece in here that, again, seems so simple, but it, it takes wholehearted commitment every day. You know, where he says, now listen 
today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. He just kind of rolls through that. Babe, if, or uh, you're not my babe. Hi, hi Curtis. <laughs> Sorry. Curtis, will you throw that up? <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> so, see, I set before you today, um, I found this graph online. I thought, this is really helpful. This is like, I'm a visual guy. And so, in these verses, he literally says, your choice is between life and prosperity, death and disaster. The conditions, he's like, I'm commanding you today by loving Yahweh, your God, walking in his ways, keeping his commandments. But if your heart turns away and you do not obey, if you're seduced and you prostrate yourselves before other gods, meaning if you lay down and worship other things and serve them, well, then I declare to you this day the consequences will be if you choose life, you'll live and increase. God, Yahweh will bless you in the land that you're about to enter. Death and disaster, you will certainly be destroyed. Your days shall not be lengthened on the soil you are crossing into the Jordan to enter and possess it. And let me fast forward the story for you. They choose the latter. They choose that side, death and disaster. That's what they choose. Here's what's crazy to me. If you just turn the page in Deuteronomy 30, listen to what God says to Moses in the very next chapter. Listen to this. It says, The Lord said to Moses, You're about to die, join your ancestors, and after you're gone, these people will begin to worship foreign gods. The gods of the land which they're going to, they will abandon me, they will break my covenant. Does God seem unsure about what's about to happen? No, not at all. He's still going to do it. He's still going to bring them into the land. But he knows they have not crossed the Jordan yet. And then Moses, just like 20 verses later, relays to the people, he says, I know that when I die, you're going to become utterly corrupt. What kind of like locker room speech is this? Have you these last words, last words matter. And he's saying to them, you will become utterly corrupt. You will turn away from the way I've commanded you to follow. In the days to come, disaster will come on you for you will do what is evil in God's sight, making him very angry with your actions. Let me tell you one of the greatest misconceptions of Christianity is that your actions don't matter. I've heard this in a lot of different ways throughout my life in Christ trying to follow Jesus. But a lot of people in the church, they have a mindset that what they do doesn't really matter because Jesus saved them. And I don't see that narrative anywhere in Scripture. It is a, hear me on this, a cooperative relationship. The covenant is a relational word. New Testament, Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever studied the word testament, but it literally means promise or covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. Both of those, there's two sides to the story. There's a God side, he's going to do it. He's going to bring history towards his desired end. How does he want to do that? From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, he wants to use us to bring his purposes to earth. He wants to use our words, our actions in the world. Every single, and if you don't believe me, just read like, all, I mean, this is all over scripture, but 1 John 5 says, everybody who believes has become a child of God. Are you with me that not every child obeys? Have you ever been around a child before? Yeah, even that new baby back there, he doesn't obey all the time. He just kind of wakes up and sleeps when he wants to, right? How annoying is that? We know we love God and we know we're God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. If we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments, hear me on this, are not burdensome. 
They're for your good. They're for your life. I sat around a circle this last week with some other pastoral leaders, and they talked about the bitterness that they held in their hearts. God says to forgive, to love our enemies. Well, some of these pastoral people have enemies within the churches that they are leading. They're hoping that people will leave their church. And they know, based on God's commandments, it's best for them to forgive those people. Not because it's just the right thing to do, but because for their own flourishing, they know if they hold on to that bitterness, it's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. They know that. I don't know what command he's leading you to follow. I know we've talked about this the last few weeks, that if you want to know, generally, if you kind of want a mirror to look into, yes, read Scripture, but specifically read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read Jesus' calling to his people. This is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. Simple things like, this is how I want you to pray. This is how I want you to flourish. I want you to bring heaven to earth. I don't want you to think about escaping to heaven someday. Don't make that your daily prayer. God, I hope I get to heaven someday. Make your daily prayer. I hope heaven comes through me, in me, into the world around me today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a way of not only praying, but there's an ancient way of silence that if you read scripture, there's a lot of be still. There's a lot of, if you don't know what to pray, that's okay. Have you ever been with a really good friend and neither one of you know what to say and so you just sit with one another? It's okay to just sit in the presence of God. It's a beautiful thing. And as we sit, I think we start to hear his voice Say, I come to give you life and life to the fullest. And the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So choose. Choose again today. And I was hoping that this sermon would just lead you to a place where you could choose again for yourself. Maybe this is the thousandth day that you've been following Jesus. But today, choose life for yourself. It's in the daily habits of choosing Jesus that matters. Don't read this book, but it's, it, it's called You Are What You Love. It's a great book by James K. Smith. I'm not telling you to read it, but just listen to this quote here. He says, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. Your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which are habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. That means the formation of my loves and desires can be happening, I love this phrase, under the hood of our consciousness. And so, one of the practices that we practice every week is communion. And we practice communion, not just because Jesus told us to, but because it reorients our loves. It re-centers ourself on, it's not about my body and blood. They, this isn't, the last word is your word, Jesus. We're on the cross, you said. It is finished. You said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You said on the cross, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you know Psalm 22, 
Jesus is starting out saying that because the end of Psalm 22 says, God, you will never leave us and forsake us. You will always be faithful. So we take communion every week to remember that our covenant is built on the faithfulness of God, on his body that was broken, on his blood that was shed. And so if you would, take a minute or so as Chris is going to play through some music here. Take some time this morning. Think about your daily habits. Just sit in silence and remember the foundation of choosing life, that Jesus chose life and chose death so that you could have abundant life today. So let us do that together. Let's just take a couple minutes of silence, and then whenever you're ready, go ahead and take some time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Life and Rhythm podcast. If you'd like to know more about Rhythm Community Church, you can go online at rhythm.community. Peace.